Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Streets Ahead is a popular podcast hosted by Adam Tranter, Ned Bolting and Laura Laker and we're incredibly excited to actually have one of those episodes being recorded live here for the London Walking and Cycling Conference. I am going to welcome one third of the Streets Ahead podcast team and her very special guest for this episode so please give it up. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Streets Ahead. Can you hear me? Your podcast dedicated to cycling, walking, and wheeling in the UK and beyond. Uh, usually Ned does that bit, but um, we don't have Ned here, sadly. I'm Laura Laker. Adam Tranter, sadly, is also unwell, so couldn't make it. But instead, we have tens of people in front of me and my guests, because we are live, recording live, at the... Uh, London Walking and Cycling Conference in the City of London's Guild Hall, which is a beautiful building, and um, it's a sunny day, so thank you all for being here and joining us for the podcast. So it's great. Usually we're in a kind of basement somewhere near London Bridge, and there's no light, so um, this is great. So the London Walking and Cycling Conference, for listeners who don't know, is an annual get-together where London basically gets to be smug and show off about what it's doing and share great practice, and it's wonderful to be here because we get to see wonderful people doing great stuff to try and make the world a slightly better place. It started life with the Hackney Walking and Cycling Conference in 2017, and it has gone from strength to strength, had visitors from all over the world, speakers. And this year's theme is taking walking and cycling to the next level, the path to climate neutrality. So we all know active travel has a huge role to play in cutting carbon emissions for shorter trips, as well as part of longer journeys involving public transport. We um, have some great guests today, three of them. Um, we have Councillor Mate Chobin, who is in charge of energy, waste, transport, and the environment for Hackney Council, which means you get emails about dog poo, bins, and parking, the, basically the trifecta for local councillors. So it must be a great time for you. And we have Liz Clement from Birmingham, and you are the cabinet member for transport. Welcome. And on my left, we have Phil Jones, who is technical advisor to the Walking and Cycling Commissioner for the West Midlands, aka our own Adam Tranter. Who couldn't be so, here? So, who couldn't be here? 
So we thought we would talk today about, because we're in London, because we have people who work in different parts of the country, what can the rest of the country learn from London? Because there has been some great progress here. There's been great progress elsewhere in the country, but London seems to be nailing it at the moment. According to Transport for London, active travel is up on 40% on pre-pandemic levels against 11% across the rest of the country. Obviously, cities are going to have bigger increases, rural areas perhaps less, but that's the sort of broad picture. So maybe we'll start with Mete. What do you think London is kind of getting right, and I guess your corner of London, Hackney? Yeah, firstly, it's great to be on the podcast. Yeah, and great thanks, to have you. Thanks for having us, and it's great that you're doing it as part of the, the conference. I think, look, like I think everywhere is different. And I always caveat that because Hackney is very unique from the rest of London, which is very unique from the rest of the country. And I say that because I didn't say this in the opening remarks, but if you look at a context of, of Hackney, we've got very low ownership levels of cars. So for households, so 30% of households have cars. More than 87% of people either walk, cycle or take public transport. 40% of traffic neither start or end in Hackney. And partly that's because we're quite in, in the London borough. So the way in which we're geographically located, so we're in the city now, is we're surrounded by the city, by East London, by North London, and everyone's driving through Hackney to, to get to where they need to. And obviously for us, you know, we want people to come and shop there locally and visit their family, friends, but there's got to be that balance between good air quality and obviously, um, and also find an equitable balance for, you know, making sure you're, uh, the roads are for everyone. Um, so. What I would say, what other regions can learn from Hackney, as opposed to specific schemes, because as I say, schemes work different everywhere, is more of the, the ambition that we have uh, for, for uh, cleaning our air and being very progressive. I, I always say, you know, whenever we've made to, the moves to make very bold moves um, with some of our schemes, I've always sort of, you know, when I have this chat with the mayor and other councillors as well, we have this chat with officers, I always say, you know, like, it's not just about Hackney, it's about the message it sends to the rest of London and the rest of the country and, and the confidence it gives to our borough and neighbours to take forward. And, you know, recently we had, you know, motorcycles, for example, never paid for parking in the borough, never ever paid for it, and they just felt like it should be for free. So cycling should have to pay for cycle uh, parking, but then they should have it for free. And, you know, they fought us really hard when, when I tried to introduce... Um, Anything with parking, yeah. as you're well know, is very difficult. But it's because they knew that if Hackney done it, other boroughs will start to follow. So they fought us really hard on it. So I think what other regions can learn from us, and, and again, as I say, like, I work very closely with Liz, for example, and other my counterparts as well, but it's the political ambition that we share across, um, of the, across the capital and the country. Yeah, and um, your um, predecessor was uh, John Burke, who was mm -hmm. uh, famously outspoken, very kind of bullish with his approach to the LTNs during the pandemic. There were, what, 20, 19, 20 low-traffic neighbourhoods during the pandemic, and there's now 48 school streets. What I would say is low-traffic neighbourhoods in Hackney go back to the 1970s. So the Beauvoir and also sort of the Brownswood area, we've got uh, low traffic neighbourhoods too, uh, historically. And the one in the Beauvoir that we had, the, the one in the 1970s, was because we had parents who was out there uh, arguing for the safety of their children. And there's some really um, great uh, photos from the, in the archives where you could see, you know, parents going out on the road, blocking the roads with, and with kids. Um, so this, our story goes back uh, to the 70s but of course you know uh, my predecessor John Burke uh, but also Ferial Clark you know uh, Ferial Clark who's now an MP for Enfield North she's played a huge role um, in making sure you know I remember when she first brought in a small filter into London Fields 600 people turned up to a meeting 
absolutely angry about it and it's like that I think was, I remember that meeting yeah. I think it was known afterwards as a pitchfork meeting or yeah something. there was a lot of anger so you know hats off to, to them and everyone else's obviously he's, he's got us to where we are mm. yeah and um and Liz in Birmingham um you've got some great quite quite exciting plans actually for Birmingham there's the famous kind of Ghent style circulation plan so trying to prevent through traffic through the city um there's plans for um main road cycle lanes there's plans for contraflow cycle lanes um but maybe it might be nice for listeners to sort of talk about your kind of journey to where you are like what kind of got you interested in this and like what and what kind of Birmingham's achieving yes well perhaps i can start with the answering the, the question about what um, what is it you know that we can learn from, mm. from london and yeah. what's motivated me to come here today and it's mainly because adam tranter who isn't here um <laughs> prodded me um, to come so he's very much a an absent friend very much missed on this panel but um that's where the motivation came from. And um, it's not a question of, of the conditional, what could or would we learn from London? I am learning because I am being mentored by Meta um, through the Local Government Association. And I actively asked for Meta because um, I could see that Hackney um, was a real beacon of best practice. Also Islington, obviously Wolfham Forest. So in Birmingham, you know, we're a big, big city, the regional capital. We want to go out and learn. We held our own transport summit in April in Birmingham with a range of speakers, including Clyde Lokes from from Waltham Forest, Pascal Smet from Brussels, you know, who, where we're looking at an example of really de-trafficking in a horrendously congested city centre, which is the, the, the task that we've got in, in Birmingham. Because it's a very um, car-centric city. Yeah, yeah. so we're, in Birmingham, we're on a journey towards a low-traffic future. So everything that I've heard today is absolutely inspirational. Um, I've read your book, M- um, Movement Mark, and it was just so in, in, just really inspirational to hear you. And all of the projects that I've heard um, presented are really, really... Um, inspiring but I think probably the most powerful thing for me is some of the statistics Um, for example the statistics about the accident reduction in low traffic neighborhood areas Um, the the accident reductions associated with 20 mile an hour um, speed limit zones Um, and I think you know, that's, the, that's the evidence that we need in, in Birmingham to push forward with this agenda. Um, we've got a very, very ambitious strategic plan, the, the Birmingham Transport Plan. Um, and that is you know, all about reallocating road space, taking out through journeys in the city centre. That's what you were referring to, Laura, with yeah. the, the Ghent style approach. Um, low traffic neighbourhoods in all, in, in all of our suburbs and you know, parking demand management. So really looking at what is the actual level of demand for parking and how can we reduce it. So all of that is a, you know, a really ambitious agenda. We launched that strategy in 2021. We've just launched the delivery plan at the summit that I just referred to. Um, and we are obviously, we're Birmingham. We, you know, we were the centre of car manufacturing. We are um, Motor City, in effect, people would think of us as you know, being the UK's Detroit, but we're reinventing ourselves. We're constantly reinventing ourselves in Birmingham. And our aim now is for a livable, walkable, cyclable city everywhere in every neighbourhood. But I think one of the things, though, but, you know, um, before I get carried away in the enthusiasm, <laughs> is actually to set some context. Because when I come to these events, um, what I'm very, very aware of, that the conditions are different. So in Birmingham, our, you know, our public transport network is not as integrated or as extensive as what is available in Greater London. So our mass transit network is buses. We have new, some local train lines. We have a, have a, have a metro um, line that we're extending. So for me, you know, one of the things, you know, I'll take away messages about boldness in terms of advocating for ad- active travel and walking and cycling, but also going to the government and actually asking for the resources to implement this agenda. Because mm. I have spent this week in meetings arguing about you know, um, 
likely cuts to bus services and rail, local rail services, and really that undermines the whole, you know, the whole drive you know, to get people out of their cars. Um, and in, in Birmingham, you know, we, we're quite a spread out city, so the distances that people are walking or cycling are sometimes quite long, and you might want to combine your journey with public transport and take your bike, as Laura said. And it's all of those options. Um, I want to give people as many choices as they can so that their life is as easy as possible when they decide to leave their, their car at home. And so I find it inspiring, but I, it, this is spurring me on to, to, to ask for the resources needed to make that, that um, change. And you have um, Andy Street, the West Midlands mayor, yes. who's, um, who's kind of, who's very um, keen on this. And I remember writing an article years ago about um, lack of progress in the West Midlands, and since then it couldn't have changed more. It's, they've got Adam on board. They've got a lot, of fun, lot more funding, and um, there's the Starley Network, which is the big plan for, um, for the network of routes across the region. So, yeah, things have changed a lot. And um, over to Phil. So, Phil, technical advisor, you've, kind of, you've been in this industry for a long time. Yeah. You've worked on a lot of projects, firstly with developers, yes, advising developers yes. on yeah, walking and cycling integration. No, no, no. We're, um, advising developers had to get planning consent for okay. new housing estates. Okay. So, yeah, so now you're working with Adam and you're working with Lee Waters in Wales I on am. the 20 miles an hour plan. Yes. And um, so you're working in, uh, around the country, basically. What, what do you think other places in the UK can learn from London? Well, I mean, I think what's really interesting is that London has changed things technically. I mean, I, I began to work particularly in cycling around perhaps 2009, 2010. Um, and was lucky enough, I see John, John Dales is here and, and we had this fantastic gig. It was the best job we ever had, uh, I think in 2012, where TfL paid us to go around the world and study... <laughs> 13 yeah, Mark Strong to, saying. Yeah, and, and Mark, and Mark, <laughs> Mark would be like the odd couple in New York. And uh, cycling around New York and learning stuff. So, and we came back and we gave those lessons to, to TfL who then produced, or Brian Deegan produced the London cycling design standards. And I think that was absolutely groundbreaking. So I think some of the things that London was doing, actually pushing the envelope with, the, uh, we, we tend to look in this country, we're a very centralized state, aren't we? We tend to, local authorities tend to look to central government for leadership. When it comes to particularly cycling infrastructure, that just hasn't happened. And what you found, particularly with TfL, is they took on the mantle and they, they um, put the money into the research. I remember all of those uh, off-road trials of, low-level traffic signals that we now take for granted that were quite groundbreaking around sort of 2012, 2013. So London has really led the way, um, and, th and then that expertise, the, the job that we've now got, those of us who work outside London, is to spread that expertise, to spread that knowledge, because what I'm finding, and, and, and I know this, you know, around the country is there are differences in terms of um, the technical capabilities of within local authorities, within the consultant supply chain, about what good looks like. And we've, got, we've still got a lot of lessons to learn. You know, isn't it what they say, that the, the, the future's here, it's just not everywhere. So the future is, some of the future is in London and we need to spread that around the rest of the country. But what I just want to kind of say though is it's, you know, technical is not enough. I think what we also have in, in London and we begin to get in other places, you know, Liz in Birmingham, is that political leadership because there's no point having the resources and the technical knowledge about how to design this stuff if the politicians, the decision makers, don't make that decision or can't feel that they can't make that decision because of perhaps um, public concerns to take those few parking spaces away to the benefit of everyone else. You know, so I think it's both. I think what London can show to us is that consistent political leadership and the the technical excellence that we need need to spread around the country. Yeah. And 
it seems to be that the mayoral regions are the ones that are pushing, pushing the kind of envelope, pushing things forward. They're the ones with the political leadership often, and it seems like most mayors, most metro mayors in the UK are behind this agenda. They see the benefits, they want their region to thrive, mm. and they understand that having a healthy cycling and walking environment, having a good public realm attracts business, attracts um, people. And also, you know, on the theme of today's conference, um, there's an urgency. I mean, by law, the UK needs to cut its emissions by 2050. Transport is 27% of our emissions. It's remained stubbornly high. Electric vehicles aren't going to get us there. And we kind of know the technical solutions. We know that um, where we need to go and we know we kind of know it's popular but then there's that sort of disjointed the f kind of piece between like what where we know we need to be and where and how to get there and i think hackney is um i mean i remember that meeting i think it was the same meeting about the london fields and i think that was the kind of precursor to the kind of ltn anger because there was i was covering it um, at the time as a journalist and it was it was amazing i mean i hadn't seen it before and i think this has been repeated around the country but i wonder um you know hackney's kind of I guess this is still a problem, but, but you've kind of gone through this already, and I wonder, I know you've been in the job a couple of years now in, in this uh, post, but um, yeah. Yeah, I wonder what, you, what insight you might have. I mean, look, I get more people angry at me now for not doing more uh, in Hackney, not genuinely, seriously, and like, you know, de then, and then it sort of translates to the officers, and I go to them and say to Tyler, I'm like, Tyler, we need to talk, where's our school streets and LTNs? Uh, no, I'm joking, but like when I first came into my role, I mean, I think it would be disingenuous to say that everything was like great and amazing. You know, certainly there was a lot of anger and a lot of relationships that we had to fix. And I think one of the things that we've learned in Hackney, it's, you know, I think, you know, we have to be honest and we've learned lots of new ways of engaging with people. Um, and that's been part of my role. It's about how do you take people on a journey with you? And that was kind of what I was trying to allude to at the start when I was talking about the aspiration point and particularly for some working class families. But even on the whole topic of climate change, right? I always find, and not just with transport as well, when you go out there and you say, you wanna like, you're doing all of this because you're trying to save the planet. Obviously that's important. Otherwise none of us would be here uh, if we didn't have a planet. But actually what you've got to do is you've got to make it relatable to people's day-to-day yeah. -day lives, right? So the, the people who, you know, like that I know from my backgrounds and similar backgrounds are more likely to suffer. I used to have asthma when I was a kid they're more likely to suffer from bad air quality, they're more likely to pay more money on their energy bills, they're more likely to live in a, in a neighbourhood where they don't have the, you know, like if you lived in a tower block during the, in, during the pandemic, where were you out getting your fresh air and stuff when we were in lockdown, for example? So the bit that I'm really trying to focus on in relation to transport specifically, it's really about, it's about that social justice element and that equitable element for people who live in the borough. Um, and that's why we're really investing a lot into the public realm not just in terms of like reducing car usage, but it's actually about how you invest into like, we planted 5,000 street trees since 2018, like phenomenal uh, number of like street trees. Um, and that's like really made a difference to the way visually uh, things look. And also people feel like, you know, people are, you're investing into, into where they live. So, you know, I, I don't see that same level of anger as, as much as when I first came in. And I do agree with Will actually, that there is a, a very loud, minority of people um, who, who sound like, it, it makes it sound loud. There are also obviously people that have genuine concerns. Again, like I remember when I first came into my role, I remember we didn't have blue badge exemption for, for LTNs and I just thought that was the most bonkers thing ever. Like why wouldn't you have blue badge exemption? You know, like clearly there's a need for it. And those are the things that you've got to be honest and open about. 
and you know, and and to be fair to to the officers, they came up with a really good solution, which now put that whole argument to bed, and no one ever raises it no more. So, what was the solution? Well, we now have uh, an exemption uh, for blue badge hold- all Hackney blue badge holders on our bus gates. So, there's four four specific bus gates: Church Street, Shepherd's Walk, uh, Downs Road, um, and the fourth one, uh, and Richmond Road, uh, where and you're able to you're able to drive through if you're a blue badge holder, but now, by addressing all of those different things, it's brought us into a completely new arena now where, where actually, as I say, like, we don't really get many complaints about it no more. And, you know, like, even when people say you're going to lose votes, and I'm, I'm not trying to sign, you know, it's, it's not all about me, right? But I brought in a sto- a, the, the scheme in my own ward in Stoke Newington seven or eight months before the election, and then I got the highest vote that I had in comparison to the previous two elections. And everyone was saying to me, you're going to lose the election because you brought in your own specific ward. And my vote jumped up by about 15, 20% in comparison to the previous election. So clearly it's not a vote loser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a quite a common um, story, actually, that we hear from around the world. There's a, um, yeah, there's kind of loud opposition, but then actually it seems like most people support it. And, um, and um, so Church Street, how did, how did, you, how did you do that? Because that was kind of a scary one and there, was, there were concerns. And I know that um, access for people with disabilities who um, need a, who, yeah, who use a car, that, um, that that's, that's kind of a fear that people have that they won't be able to. Yeah, I mean, look, Church Street was interesting because, as I say, again, it wasn't us who came up with the scheme and went to the people. It was, going back to what I was saying at the start of the day, it was us responding to campaigns from the people in the area. From and we the probably schools. should describe actually what Church Street is for people who don't yeah. know it. So Church Street is basically, it's a through road, B road, um, typically had about 10 to 12,000 cars driving through it a day. Uh, in the Mayor of London's, I think it was a 2017 report around pollution levels around schools, had William Patton School at one of the highest levels of pollution uh, in the capital city. Um, and it's, you know, got loads of businesses there. Uh, for those who are listening to to the podcast so it's a very like you know traditional london street which is a free road loads of cars it's a very narrow road so it's not like a big road so when you when you drive you know like the payments were very narrow so what we done on church street was we bought a low traffic neighborhood scheme uh, which basically comprised of uh, five filters like the traditional ones that you have with the planters and those are 24 hour ski- um, uh, uh, filters and we also had a bus gate on church street itself which cuts, cuts the sort of the daytime through traffic between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Um, and that was sort of the compromise that we felt that was required to be able to cut the daytime traffic. And then you have a blue badge exemption. You have exemption for Hatzola for emergency services uh, for, and also for council uh, refuse trucks as well. Um, but what we also done on Church Street was it wasn't just, oh, let's just cut traffic. It was massively invested in the public realm. So we invested, we widened the pavements on Church Street. We put six community parklets there where people, like the work that Brenda was, is doing in Hackney, um, you know, and <laughs> has been championing. Brenda and her, um, her parklets, the, the founder of the parklets in yeah, London, we, Hackney. We did that. We put electric vehicle charging points, more street trees. So it just looks and feels so much more different uh, now. And, you know, as a result, footfall's gone up by, I think it's about 16 or 18%. Cycling's gone up by 36%. I said Visa MasterCard transactions have got about 200%. And guess what? People on foot bring you more customers, um, which obviously yeah. lots of people uh, disputed before. But those are the sorts of things that have massively helped um, bring about change on Church Street. Yeah. And obviously, um, Liz, uh, as, as we know, Hackney started this journey a long time ago. Birmingham's more recently on this journey. Where is, where is kind of Birmingham at in, on this journey at the moment, would you say? 
I wouldn't entirely agree with that because we started a process called the Birmingham Cycle Revolution in, in 2012, 2013. Okay, so, um, and obviously, you know, we've got you know, two major... Um, uh, segregated cycleways on the A34 and the A38 in Birmingham. Those you know, were you know, quite long in the inception, but the work on those started in 2012 and 2013. And a lot of that came from campaign groups, you know, from the ground up and people challenging us on you know, you know, just how dangerous it was to cycle in Birmingham. Um, and I think I should give credit to those campaigners because we've got a lot of cycle infrastructure already. Um, when Chris Boardman came to Birmingham in the autumn, we took him on the A38 cycle road, uh, route. We took him past Edgebaston Cricket Ground, up towards Moseley on the new infrastructure that we built for the Commonwealth Games. Again, in the run-up to the Commonwealth Games, we massively extended the A38 Blue Route. Um, so we're getting there, but you know, the scale of what we're doing in Birmingham is massive. You know, we're a single authority covering a 1.3 million city. So I was interested in your comments on, on leadership in the, in the mayoral combined authorities, because obviously different political dynamic in the West Midlands. We've got a Conservative mayor, Andy Street, and, and um, a, a combination of, of Labour and Conservative authorities. And I really admire Andy because I believe that he actually role models the behaviour. He does use public transport. He does walk and cycle. Um, and I think it would be great if some of that behaviour is emulated by some of the, the, the Conservative leaders of the authorities that are within the West Midlands CA because I think when it gets down to the nitty gritty, for example, of you know, when Birmingham was introducing our clean air zone, um, Andy was able to give a high level commitment to it. But, you know, but I think the reception amongst other, for example, local Conservative councillors in Birmingham was not so warm, uh, let alone in some of the, uh, the other um, um, councils in the, in the CA um, uh, area. I don't, don't want to stray too much into parochial and very party <laughs> politics, but I think you need to Getting appreciate the dynamics and the fact that other parts of the country you know, want to share your ambition and are inspired by your boldness, yeah. but, you know, but the context is different. Um, so in, in, in Birmingham, you know, we, we're trying to build you know, the, the sort of network of, of cycle routes that you'll see in the, in the Netherlands. So in the autumn, I went with Sustrans, I went to Rotterdam and Delft, and that since I've been in this portfolio, which is now sort of... Um, it's about a year and a half. That's the most inspiring thing that I've done because it was a, you know, those places are, are places where I saw middle-aged women like me in normal clothes, mums and dads, kids on bikes, um, without cycle helmets, cycling everywhere, um, and it was just a joy to be there. Um, and obviously, for me, you know, I was really fascinated by Rotterdam because that's you know a really good direct comparator to Birmingham, and I'd love us to you know to be you know with that that level of infrastructure and that level of public transport um, provision. So I think we've got you know, we've got to keep going. We've got you know the same debates in Birmingham about low traffic neighbourhoods, but we're pushing ahead with that. You know, we've got a big low traffic neighbourhood um, in Kingsheath and Moseley, you know, which is, we've just um, agreed to extend. Um, I've just launched a consultation on a low traffic neighbourhood places for people scheme in Bourneville and Cotteridge which is the ward that I represent will um, we'll soon be um, going into delivering one in Lazelles um, uh, north of the city centre um, and I've actually got residents coming to me now and asking whether they can have a low traffic neighbourhood in their area and if you look at new housing estates so if any of you know South Birmingham there's been a major redevelopment on the site of the old Selyoke Hospital um, and there are two massive um, residential estates there and they are in effect giant low traffic neighbourhoods because that's how people want to live um, if you've got you new know, small children, vulnerable, older people, or if you just generally want to have a good quality of life, you do not want to live somewhere that's blighted by traffic. And I think we need to come back to those arguments about quality of life and, and livability. And that, that's the, the real the re reason. And you know, that, the reason why we're all councillors, which is sometimes a thankless job, is that we're trying to make a positive difference, make change for the better. And I think that, that's the, the, the way we need to pitch it. 
Yeah. And you, I mean, you, briefly, we were speaking earlier, you, you said that you'd lived in Germany and you'd seen sort of um, cities like Birmingham in Germany and they'd kind of d delivered kind of cycle routes. And I don't know, you, you also referenced um, Rotterdam. How long do you think it would take for Birmingham to, to be like Rotterdam with a cycle network? What would you like to see? I think it'll take quite a while. I, I wasn't saying that I'd found a city exactly like Birmingham in Germany. What, what I was saying is that I've you know, lived in a number of, you know, Conurbations in Germany, and you know that's what's sort of inspired me to be interested as a layperson in mm. in transport. You saw people cycling. You yeah, saw no, but you know, I lived. I was a postgraduate student in Hamburg in the early 1990s, and there, you know, I lived in you know, in the city centre. It was possible to live with no, you know, unproblematically without a car. There was excellent public transport, and you could take your bike, you know, on 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 public transport for for longer trips. And I still feel that you know, many places in in the in England outside London are still sort of really decades away from that. But we need to aspire for better things, though. So that's why we need to you know, actually start you know, having serious conversations um, with government about what levelling up really means. Um, yeah. And Phil, you wanted to come in about LTNs. Yeah, as you can say, the, the, the whole question of LTN, I think it's become a term... that actually, it's, yeah. it's become unhelpful. It's a bit like shared space, you know, that we all thought that was a great thing, or some of us thought it was a good, good thing. And, and then it becomes, you know, becomes a, um, uh, something that actually is hard to define, really. The problem with a low-traffic neighbour, what is it? The term was only coined, I think, about, what, six or seven years ago? Um, when when, when uh, Waltham Forest first did its what became low traffic neighbourhoods, I remember John, John Little, who was very much the brains behind that, talked about villagization. You know, that was the term that he used. There were these kind of uh, um, Victorian grids were going to be turned from just a kind of amorphous mass of housing into something of a, of a community by removing the through traffic. And that was, that was fantastic. But what we know is that those people who lose through, through any intervention shout much louder than those people who gain. And, and I think. Um, it's great that in, in, in Hackney you've got that, uh, and in other parts of London, you've got those evidence, uh, and increasingly in Birmingham with, with, with um, uh, King's Heath and so on, you can point to success. But in other parts of the country, it's quite difficult to do that. Um, and I think, I think the furore that we've seen in some parts of the press around this term and this kind of demonisation of the term low traffic neighbourhood, it's having a quite a corrosive effect. And it's having yeah. th those, those politicians who are perhaps more nervous about the idea of any kind of car restraint are feeling um, uh, they're feeling they're, they're becoming demotivated to, to put themselves into that confrontational position because um, you know you, you hear um, Clyde I'm sure you know Meta and others and, and, and Liz it's not a comfortable place to be when you're ha having those kind of brickbats thrown at you so I think one of the things that we as professionals in this have to get smarter at is how do we how do we make sure that the the, the silent majority is no longer silent. Mm. Um, how do we make sure that the loud anti-voices, who we know are about only uh, a third of the population, are not the ones that the politicians lead to, are not the ones that the media amplify their voices? And we somehow give voice to this silent ma ma majority. Um, um, one of the, I, I'm doing, as, as Laura mentioned, I'm doing a lot of work uh, with, with Lee Waters in Wales. I, was, I chaired the task force that, brought, that helped to bring in the, uh, the default 20 mile an hour speed limit and when we when we did that that task force report one of the things that was recommended we recognized that was going to be a huge change and there should be some very early engagement with with the, the people of wales to make sure that they it could be demonstrated that there was support out there and we reflected that support back to the population of wales unfortunately due to, due to electoral cycles and timing and budgets that hasn't quite happened and i think lee would i think he referred to it when he spoke that the, the, the road towards a default 20 has been a little rockier than it, it might have been if we'd, if we'd sort of 
roll the pitch, if you like, to use a kind of cricketing metaphor. And I think, you know, we have to get a bit smarter about that, of getting our, um, getting our information in first before the antis can kind of contaminate the ground. You know, some people talk about immunisation um, in a kind of medical sense, where you immunise the population against misinformation by giving them the truth before that. Because if you come along with stats and stuff, but they've already made their mind up, then you're probably going to find it very difficult. I, 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 think there's, I don't know if you... Would agree, you know, but I think I think once you've kind of ceded the ground to the very vociferous um, uh, um, minority, then mm. it's going to be quite hard to yeah. move back. Yeah, I've heard it called um, pre-bunking as well. I've heard <laughs> it in the in the um, uh, in relation to sort of vaccinations. Yeah. And obviously during the pandemic, there was a lot. Um, but yeah, it's sort of debunking, but it's getting in before with right. kind of information. So there was someone on a podcast talking about how um, it's about kind of giving people information so they're kind of armed so that when yeah, discussions yeah. do happen, that they can kind of, it's easier to kind of sift for the fact from fiction. So um, it would be nice to um, have questions um, at some point soon. And I guess we're at, yeah, we've got 20 minutes until the official end of the thing. So we might just do a cu couple more questions and then um, be prepared to wield a mic and, and think of some questions because we'd love to hear from you. But um, Yes, it seems like they say what's I was just going to say it's something very, just which I forgot to mention, right? Because obviously, in the context of this conference, because it's got our logo, there's a lot of talk about Hackney. Um, but actually, like, one of my colleagues, Michael Carter, was here, legend from uh, Haringey, who's my counterpart. Then you've got James Asser from, uh, from Nuremberg, yeah. and John, who's here as well. Uh, you had Joe Blackman from Redbridge and like some of the stuff that James and you speak to James is over here I'm not sure if Mike's here. Mike's just introduced the first three <laughs> low traffic neighborhood schemes in Haringey mm. But one of the things that has been really useful and it's the same thing I have with Liz as well. We've got an amazing network of People who do my job basically who we just support each other both in terms of information sharing when Mike was starting his journey um, to set up the, the, the low traffic neighborhoods uh, schemes in Haringey me and Verena, who's my counterpart in Islington, we were like, you know, offering our officer support to his officers. Um, you know, like all of that sort of stuff is happening, which is amazing London-wide. And I think none of us would be successful in what we're doing if it wasn't for all of us working together. And there's an amazing network of that. And, and it comes under the, the, the umbrella of the London Council's Transport and Environment Committee, which my mayor, Phil, um, uh, chairs. But you know, like I, I should just say, like, you know, I know we're talking a lot about Hackney because of the logo being here. Um, but, you know, like some of what I mean, like what James is doing in, in North Woolwich Road, which obviously Will was talking about earlier. I mean, that's, that's pretty transformational stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's because as you were talking, this is something that I was thinking about. This kind of um, we know that the support, public support for the for this these kind of measures for more cycling and walking, people want to see it. But then there's that moment where it's being proposed and people realise, oh, this is going to affect me, and and there is that kind of outcry. And there's there's the element of having that discussion beforehand with people. And I think this is something that Newham Newham's my council. They um, Newham put uh, James Astor and his team put in low traffic neighbourhoods in my area during the pandemic and it's transformed um, the local neighbourhood for me so I've been able to see the impact of that and you see children out on the roads and, and you would never have seen before but um, you know there is that kind of um, backlash but it's um, I think one thing that they did well was um, kind of tweaking the plans and 
making people feel that they were listened to. This is my observation as a resident and speaking to your council officers about it. And, um, and, and that seemed to help a little bit. I mean, um, and, and yeah, this kind of peer-to-peer support, because there is this fantastic stuff happening around the country. And I think it is hard on councillors, and there has been personal attacks as a, as a female journalist out in the world on social media. You know, yeah. being subject to these, this kind of abuse online is actually quite, it's quite, it takes a toll, I think. And it's, it's I, you know, having seen a tiny bit of it myself, it makes you realise, actually, that this is not easy stuff to do. And if you're a councillor, maybe it's not, maybe it feels like it's not worth it if you feel like you're on your own out there. And there, there kind of needs to be that um, support, a bit of a love-in here. Virtual hug, everyone. Um, but yeah, Liz? Yes, I think that it is really important. So alongside me, the, the, the support that I'm getting from Meta, I'm also part of a network of, of transport leads from the um, English core cities and um, Welsh core cities. So that's all the, the big cities outside London. And we meet re- reg- um, regularly on Teams and it's more like a therapy session. Um, but we're all encountering the, 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 the same issues. But I think we have to really you know, push you know, the power of imagination. We need to help people understand what it, what it can be like to live in a place that is not blighted by traffic. And I think you know, people can, you can remember back to the, to the, the first lockdown you know, when, when actually you could walk on the street and hear birds and um, you, could, you um, could see what your, your, your neighbourhood was like without, without traffic. And then for, for Birmingham, we've had other experiences during the Commonwealth Games. Much more of the city centre was pedestrianised than is currently the case. So that's given us you know, a, a target to, to reach there. We also had a very strict transport policy um, where we said there will be no parking at the Commonwealth Games venues. Um, and we had shuttle buses. You know, we provided... Um, transport you know, with, the, with the tickets to the events, you know. So that again is you know, that if people can see what modern bus travel is like, then they're much more likely to, to adopt it. Because you know, public transport is a really key part of this picture for me. Um, but I think the support, the mutual support, is really, really important. Because I know a lot of women councillors who have been subjected to some quite vile and quite alarming abuse. You know, so it's you know you have to be quite fearless to pursue this, but it's worth pursuing it because it is so transformational. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something. Um Something that um, perhaps the last sort of question before we um, ask ask everyone to chip in um, is just the sort of pace of change. I mean, we have this uh, urgency we've seen in um, Canada this week the fires, the, the smoke that's kind of spreading across America now, and it's terrifying. This apocalyptic vision of the future, and we know that transport has an enormous role to play. And yet, you know, everything takes so long. I mean, I I, I take my hat off to anyone who works in a local authority because I've you know I've, I can see that it's just very very slow, and I know that um, in Birmingham, you know, it's just, it's one of the places where, I'm not not sort of singling you out, but, you know, things just seem to take so long. There's um, the um, A38 cycle route that's not going to happen until 2027, but the money's there, but it just seems like this capacity issue. Can I just clarify, we have a very long segregated cycle route on the A38 from the city centre to uh, Selioak, near where where I represent, and what we've got now... um, is money from the city regional sustainable transport settlement to extend it to, to Longbridge. We had a, a pop-up cycle lane, which I'd say I fought to keep. Um, oh, it got removed. And again, and it got removed because there was a backlash against it. So I mean, that's the that, but that is the reality of dealing with this stuff because um, you know, the, the Conservative MP in Northfield was able to whip up um, three thousand people to say that they wanted it removed, whereas I managed you know a measly six or seven hundred on my my position. So I think it's, you know, it's a constant yeah. it's a constant battle. But we're moving forward with those plans. But um, but you know we've got all of the issues you know, about the capacity and the skills that are out there in the market you know, to give us the, um, 
commissioning te technical advice and design advice and so on. But, you know, but we clearly need to move you know, forward with that. And Phil and Adam Tranter, again, who's much missed in this discussion, is helping us with um, some c capacity support. Yeah. So, I mean, with this kind of context, this sense of urgency and, and the difference between the urgency and the, and the kind of pace of change, what, how, do, how can we be sort of more radical? I think, I think this is something that Adam and I were keen to talk about when we, we discussed this issue. Like, how can, we, how can we be bold and get things moving more quickly? Sorry, I, I, I mean, I think... I think we, we have to address car restraint. We have to address car restraint. You know, it's not enough just to provide carrots. We have to be prepared to make driving a little less attractive. That's what's so great about low traffic neighbourhoods. You know, it, with, with a very, very small amount of capital investment, a bollard, a planter, you know, it, obviously it's great to do the placemaking, but they are really cheap as chips in construction terms. They, if you do the consultation engagement, then that's where you put all your money. But the great thing about that kind of approach, that traffic, it's just traffic management, different types of traffic, on, at the same time as making driving a little more difficult, you make walking and cycling a little easier and more attractive. And that's what we have to do big, that's what we have to do citywide, I think. The little and plastic ones? Anything. No, no, uh, no, I'm thinking, I'm think, no, no, the, wand the ones, no, I'm actually talking about whether it's charging, whether mm. it's... Um, the Birmingham cells. Sorry, that's a, that's not a great name, is it? The yeah. cells makes yeah, it sound like a prison. G the um, the circulation. The, yeah, given the Oxford, plan. the, the segment, Oxford empties were. Segments. Yeah, segments. segments yeah. Like segments the Oxford empties were saying we're going to be yeah. fifteen-minute neighbourhoods meant we couldn't. We were going to be locked in our neighbourhoods. No, it's not that. The Birmingham cells. But yeah, the, you know, the Ghent style. That's really ambitious. We're, we're, we've been doing similar work for the town of Shrewsbury. You know, we've got we've we've amazingly got. Um, a conservative, a conservative controlled unitary county authority pretty much signed up, heard it here first, to sign up to Ghent style traffic cells uh, in the centre. Segments. Of, segments. So in Shrewsbury, which, and, that, and the reason that we've been able to, we, or the greater we've been able, is because they've been talking about this for five years and it's taken a long time to get there. So, but that's what we have to do, you know, to, we have to be prepared to bite the bullet and make driving a, a little less convenient. I think that's where it comes back to the political leadership, though, because I've had a lot of support you know, from, from campaigners, my officers like Mel and, and, and experts like Adam and Phil, so that I can now articulate, you know, I think, quite clearly you near know, that we are trying to make you know, driving less direct and less convenient because that's the nudge that's the you know, the prompt to the mode shift out of out of your car because in Birmingham there are 250,000 journeys by car of less than a mile every work day oh my um, word you know so I mean it's in, at the scale of what we're trying to tackle is absolutely massive and you know obviously you know we're a relatively young city so there's some people who are essential drivers or have got mobility problems who um, they need, may need to drive but the mass of the population can walk or, or cycle if they learn to cycle. Just um, about being and, honest. No, but, but also, but there's other. I just wanted to say there's public health benefits as well because we have other big challenges in Birmingham like um, poverty, deprivation, um, uh, the diseases of, of poverty and deprivation, of, um, obesity, diabetes, all of those things. Which actually getting out, um, walking and cycling is good for your mental health and it's good for your physical health. Um, so I think you know, we have you know we have to be um, upfront about that. And I you know. I, uh, again, people who've heard me speak before will, will know that each time I get up, I will always say, you know, we need fewer cars. And, and I think that's, you know, that I am one of the few politicians in Birmingham who's prepared to get up and say that now. There's more of us. There's more of us now. Um, but that's where we need, you know, to mentor our own colleagues in, in councils, because that's really what we're about. Because, you know, we've had um, a number of really 
terrible fatalities on of cyclists in Birmingham over the last couple of weeks, and a, a child was killed. Um, obviously, I can't comment on the causes, but what I know is that you can, you know, if you have you know, high levels of traffic on the road, if you have high levels of traffic on the road, then you will have you know, um, you know, a problem with, with road safety. And we need to do all the things and you know, build the infrastructure. Um, it rigorously enforce the um, uh, rules of the road, work with the police, work in partnership, but, but in the end, it's de-trafficking that, that, that's the key. And I think that, that's the real difficult thing for, to grasp the net one if you're, if you're a politician. And in Birmingham, we've got, you know, we need to talk to the MPs, we need to get everybody on the side, because um, that, that's the agenda. Yeah. Um, Mate, how can, we, how can we be more bold in, in London? Well, I feel I, like we have focused on Hackney, you're right, and other places <laughs> in London are doing great things. The City of London, we're near Bank Junction, which yeah. Yeah. was it how many years ago? Um, I think it was, a couple, yeah, uh, yeah, not that long ago, they, um, they kind of closed that 7 till 7 to 3 traffic. So. I mean, there's a number of things, right? So I, I don't think there's, there's one answer. I feel like there's a package of things that you can do to be more bold. I also think sometimes you have to look back and celebrate at what we've been doing. So, for example... Like, we haven't really spoke about school streets um, too much in this conversation, but with our school streets, we've got 49 in Hackney, and we've done some... Uh, the data might be slightly out of date, but at the time when we done the data, uh, we surveyed kids before they went to... before they, we implemented the schemes, and then after the schemes went in. And some of the, uh, the impacts had been quite transformational. So I think 31% more children had been walking to school uh, since we brought that scheme, those schemes in, and then over about 50% of children had more had been cycling or scooting to school, um, and that's like significant behavioural change. And on top of that, tailpipe emissions on average was down by about 74% um, in the, in those schools uh, where we where we surveyed. So clearly, like there are quite radical and transformative change, and I think you know everything that we're doing from uh, our low traffic neighbourhood schemes. I mean, we brought in 20 miles per hour, one of the first boroughs to, to bring it in, the car free development and stuff. Uh, I think, you know, what Liz spoke about, the alternatives, I think is really important. Uh, we obviously, um, I know we've got Lime Bike uh, represented here today as well, but we, we obviously rolled out the dockless bikes uh, in, in a borough uh, in the summer of last year. And I think we now average about 100k trips uh, per month, which is like unreal. Um, but then we also have to have, you know, like bus priority, the stuff that I spoke about earlier um, in my open remarks. So, I think mean, there's all those things and, you know, like, as I said, I think the next step is road user charging uh, and that's a step that we need to sort of to move towards because ultimately all these little things that we're talking about now is sort of tinkering around the edges. Like, you know, in order to really drive down traffic, you're going to have to move towards, you know, there are some parts of Hackney, for example, when I can think about now, it's like, that's it. Like, there's no more next step. The next step is basically road user charging, you know. You can build, build out, uh, I don't know, remove some parking spaces, do this and that, but it ain't going to make a huge difference. If you're talking drastically about reducing traffic, there are certain pinch points of the borough where you're going to have to start to think about uh, road user charging. But it comes back to that point about the political um, leadership, which um, Liz spoke about. And, you know, my plea to everyone in this room is, like, look, you've, you've really got to, if you're a campaigner, like... We need you. We need your support. Um, and, you know, like, don't just, uh, don't just campaign at the time of, you know, pushing us to do schemes. But also, when we do push those schemes, actually go out and celebrate it. I'll give you an example, and I'm not even afraid to sort of, like, single out this group. William Patton Primary School, I was actually speaking about this earlier. I've been a councillor for nine years in Stoke Newton. They spent the most part of my life, my whole time as a councillor, campaigning to have action taken on Church Street. I became a cabinet member in, in March, 20, uh, March 2021 
I met with them two, three times uh, within the space of three months. And they were, they were saying all sorts of things to me. Oh, you know, you're letting us down. You're never going to bring in this scheme, et cetera, et cetera. Brought the scheme in, right? Bearing in mind, they've been campaigning for it for four or five years. And then they didn't say nothing about it publicly. And then when I asked them about it, they said it's because it's going to make, that scheme is now going to make it worse for other schools like Princess May on the high street. So I said to them, didn't you know that when you were asking for it two, three years ago? But that's the sort of point I'm trying to make. So obviously it's about challenging us. But if, if you're going to push politicians to take action and when they take, take action, you're going to basically come out and criticise them, that's not going to give the confidence to be bold. So you've got to celebrate the wins as well. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult for politicians to move forward. Good point. Um, we have five minutes left, I've been told. I thought we had longer because we started slightly, slightly late, but apparently we don't. So um, apologies, Liz, quickly. I just wanted to say, in the spirit, spirit of celebrating things, I'd like to invite you the next time you're in Birmingham to come and cycle the Northbrook Street um, so, um, <laughs> segregated cycle lane, because that's um, uh, something that I went and visited on Saturday, which was World Bike Day at the beginning of, of um, nice. Bike okay. Week. Um, and I think the other thing on, on politicians, I think you ought to challenge your councillors wherever you do they walk, do they cycle? I'm not saying they have to do that for every journey, but it would be good if they did it occasionally um, and took pictures themselves cycling or walking or travelling on the bus, because um, I think that's a test of whether people are actually you know, um, get the agenda. And, and I was just going to say, um, talking about road pricing, again, League Waters can't be here in person, but look to Wales. Welsh Government has published a national transport strategy in support of the Wales-wide Road user charging, Cardiff Council looking at road user charging, so it is happening around the country. So let's let's look for it. Let's celebrate Cambridge also. So it's it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. yeah that um, it. I have bad news for you. I've been a bad I've been a bad chair. Um, <laughs> we've been told we have to wrap up. But thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs>